Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a four-week teaching series called Generous Living. Together, we're learning to manage our money well so we can live a generous life. Thanks for listening. Well, hey, today we are continuing the four-week series we're doing through the month of November called Generous Living. And the whole purpose of this series is that we want to learn how to manage our money well in order to live a generous life. Now, the way we've been talking about this is we've been talking each week about something that may keep us from being able to live that generous life. And so in the first week, we talked about debt. Last week, Pastor Jeff talked about how not having a financial plan can keep us from living a generous life. And today, I want to talk to you about how hoarding can keep us from living a generous life. Now, as soon as I say that word, I guarantee you that almost everybody in this room just thought to themselves, oh, good, this message is not for me. I've seen that TV show, Hoarders, and those people have a serious problem. Too bad they're not here to hear this. But I am going to ruffle your feathers a little bit here. People say I'm good at this. And I want you to think about this question. What do you do with all your extra money? Now, again, some of you are going, okay, good. He's got the wrong audience here. I don't have a whole lot of extra money, but in the next couple of moments, I'm going to convince all of us that we have extra money. And what we choose to do with our extra money says a lot about what we believe about life. In fact, Jesus talks a lot about this, and we're going to look at one of the things he says together this morning in just a moment, but I'll give it away to you. He basically says, if you're following on your notes there with me, the way we manage our extra money is a reflection of our heart. The way we manage our extra money is a reflection of our heart. But first, let me convince you, you actually have extra. Now, if you think, well, you're not talking to me because I don't have extra, you do. The problem is most of our extra either gets consumed or it gets saved so we can consume it later. Most of our extra, we consume it now or we put it in a bank or we put it in a 401k so we can consume it later. And so when somebody stands up here like me and asks you, what do you do with all your extra? You go, well, I don't have any extra. But listen. Are you living indoors right now? Do you have food to eat on your table? Do your kids live indoors with you right now, even though they treat it like outdoors? Do they have food on the table? Then friends, anything other than that is just kind of gravy. It's just kind of extra. Did you go to a movie in the last couple of weeks? Well, then you have some extra, don't you? If you have a bad coffee habit like I do, you probably have a little extra cash to spend. Do you own a car? Oh my gosh, do you know what percentage of the world's population that puts you in? Some of you own two cars. Some of you even own three cars. That's incredible. Do you own your own home? That's amazing, right? Most people in this world, they don't own their own homes. A lot of people have to rent their homes or they build cardboard boxes for their homes. How many of you in your home have something in your sink called a garbage disposal? Do you ever put garbage in your garbage disposal? No. What do you put in a garbage disposal? Extra food that you don't want to eat. How many of you ever had a garage sale? What is that stuff? Where did it come from? How many of you didn't even know you had it until you went up in the attic and go, oh, I remember this. Don't you need it? No, not really. I didn't even know I had it until I put it out in my garage. Now, the truth is, friends, we don't think like this, right? 
for good reason. I mean, that's why I'm just trying to poke you around a little bit. Think about maybe I do actually have some extra. Honestly, the only time I ever feel like I have extra is when I'm around people who I know don't have a whole lot. Number one thing people say when they go on a mission trip and they come back, what is it? I can't believe how blessed I am. I can't believe how much I have and how little they have, and yet they're still full of joy. But then, of course, after about two weeks, that wears off, and we get used to all the extra we have. On the flip side, whenever I'm around people who have more than I do, I never think, I'm so blessed. Peggy and I just went on our 20th anniversary down to Florida this past summer, and we were in this beautiful area where there were all these giant, beautiful, gorgeous homes. And guess what? Half of them were empty. Why? Because they were somebody's second home. And never once did I look at these homes and think, we're so blessed, I have so much extra. I thought, why don't I have one of those? Why? Because I'm tempted, just like all of us, by this consumeristic culture that we live in. To think, I don't have enough. I don't have enough extra. I need extra, extra. But the truth is, most of us, if not all of us, have some extra. And what you choose to do with that extra is a reflection of your heart. And this is what Jesus is going to say to us in the passage I'd invite you to turn to this morning with me in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, no worries. We have some in the seats underneath you there. Uh, If you want to grab that, you can find this on page 845. Take it home with you. If you don't own your own Bible, we'd love for you to have that as our gift to you. Now, we're going to be looking at a teaching from Scripture where Jesus addresses the issue of extra and the danger of hoarding all that we have. And again, before you say, well, that's not my problem, I'm going to warn you. He talks about two very different reasons why we might be tempted to hoard. In fact, let me just get it on the table for you right now this morning so you don't check out and think this message isn't for me. If you're on your notes, we're tempted to hoard our extra out of greed or out of fear. So that's where we're headed together this morning. Take a look at verse 13. Jesus addresses the issue of greed first. That's what we'll talk about. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, why is this person asking Jesus? Well, in the ancient world, rabbis often settled family disputes like this matter. But the problem is, Jesus had been just teaching on some very important spiritual issues. And this guy rudely interrupts him. Basically, all he can think about is the money that he doesn't have right now. And so Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I'm not interested in being your personal lawyer right now. I'm talking about important things. But like he so often does, because Jesus is such a brilliant teacher, he takes this interruption and uses it as an opportunity to talk about the danger of greed. In fact, would you read verse 15 on your notes there with me? It says... Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, how many in this room would admit that you're greedy? Oh, wow. I was expecting zero. Way to be honest. I don't think most of us would admit we're greedy. But when we understand what the word greed means in the Bible, uh, maybe we could be tempted to think this. If you're on your notes there, greed just means grasping after more. Grasping after more, more possessions, more bank accounts, more cars, more clothes. 
So maybe more of us would raise our hands. I don't know. But Jesus says your life, your life is not equivalent to an abundance of possessions. Your life is not the same as your possessions. I think we hear that and we go, yeah, I know that. I know that my stuff doesn't make me who I am. Why would Jesus even need to say that? Who in their right mind would think that their lives consist in an abundance of possessions? Logically, that's what we think. I know that's true. But practically, sometimes that's not how I live. And Jesus knows this, so he launches into a parable to help us think about the extra we have in our lives and whether we truly believe that life does not consist in an abundance of stuff. Verse 16, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So catch this, this already rich guy, he's already rich, he has an abundant harvest harvest, an extraordinary harvest. His land just produced an incredible crop. And understand, please, for the Jewish person who would be listening to this parable right now, for them, this would be a true sign that God had blessed this man. This was God's blessing for this man. We have to understand that to understand the parable. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have all this extra. What am I going to do with my extra? I have no place to store my crops. He has this incredible surplus, and the only question that comes to his mind is, where can I store all this extra for me? Where can I store all this extra for me? It never occurs to him, never crosses his mind that I'm already rich enough and don't need any more. No, I need to find a place to store all my extra stuff. His basement's full, his attic's full, his garage is full, his barns are full. I have so much extra, I have nowhere to put all this extra. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns, and there I will store my surplus grain. The inner dialogue we see here shows the real problem for this man. It's not that he has extra. It's his greed, the ruthless appetite to have more. So here's what I'm going to do. I'll build bigger barns so I can store all my extra. Ingenious. Verse 19, then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. The American dream, 2,000 years before we existed. I mean, if you can create a big enough barn to hold all the stuff you need to consume now and to consume all this stuff later, then you're living the life. You have enough, finally. Solomon describes this man well in Ecclesiastes 5.10. We looked at this a couple years ago. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Now comes the turning point in the parable, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. Literally, do you know you can translate that as you nitwit? Now we need to pause here again in the story because like I said, Jesus' audience right now, this would be like the bombshell. They would be so confused. Like, wait a minute, did God just call this guy a fool? He's not a fool. He's been blessed by God. In this culture, if you were wealthy, clearly you were living in the favor of God. You had God's favor. So why would God call this man a fool? By the way, if you don't already know this, there are churches, there are pastors who still teach the same thing today, right? That if you have an abundance of possessions, that is a sign of God's blessing on you. If you don't, you're just lacking the faith in order to get them. 
That's not in the Bible. That's just bad theology. As one pastor said, just in case you haven't been paying attention, it also doesn't work. Some of the wealthiest people in America are not followers of Jesus. Some of the wealthiest people in the world are atheists. Why did they get so blessed? And why do you, as a nice, good Christian man or woman, why do you struggle? It's because our stuff is not always a reflection of God's blessing. Now, pause. Time out. Does God bless us with stuff? He sure does. Absolutely. But here's the question I'm asking this morning. It's not, I should feel guilty about having extra stuff. The question is, is he blessing me so that I can just build bigger barns for myself? Just build bigger portfolios for myself? Build bigger houses for myself? Or does he bless us, perhaps, to think bigger than that? To think beyond just ourselves? God doesn't call this man a fool because he's blessed, because he's wealthy. If you're following on your notes, God calls him a fool because he thought all his extra was only for him. He thought it was for his current consumption or his future consumption, and that's it. Can't we fall into that trap sometimes? I know I can. I can view what God has blessed us with is primarily for us and how we can secure our future so that we can eat, drink, and be merry, preferably on a beach in Florida someday. I'm not saying that that is wrong, that we can't enjoy life. I'm not even against retirement. But what we're learning here is that if that's all we think about when it comes to the extra God has given us, then Jesus would call us fools. Listen to how the story ends. God's still speaking here. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You're out of time, even though you're not out of money by a long shot. I think that's where most of us who live in America, that's what will happen, right? We're, we're going to run out of time before we run out of money. Why? Because we're good. We're good at securing our futures. We have companies, we've been blessed tremendously. We have companies that actually help us prepare for our futures. They donate money to help us prepare for our futures. That's a blessing from God. As we learned last week, preparing for your future, that's wisdom. That's scriptural. But Jesus' challenge here is to believe that it's all for you. That all the blessing you've been given is for you. Yes, be wise, form a plan, but understand your life is like this. You never know how long it's going to last. And so don't center your life around an abundance of possessions here and now. So Jesus, after finishing the parable, ends this way in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. That is the result of a life lived, of hoarding out of a place of greed. Now again, I'm going to say it as many times as I have to. Jesus is not against preparing for the future financially or enjoying what God has given you now. He's not teaching that. What he's saying here is that's how it's going to be for anyone who thinks that everything come, that comes their way is only, only, only for them. Friends, Jesus loves using parables to kind of stick us in the heart here. But he's making an important point, and I hope we don't miss it. To the person who hoards because of greed, which again, it's just this pursuit of more, and we're told in this country, that's what it's all about, more. The danger of wrapping your identity in happiness is that life does not consist 
in an abundance of possessions. It will never fulfill you. It will never satisfy you. And so if you're on your notes here, the temptation of greed is I can never have enough. If we're tempted in this way, we think to ourselves, I can never have enough. More is always better. But what if, in Jesus' wisdom, sometimes less is actually more? What if less is actually more at times? What if we believe the message Jesus has for us here? You know, when Peggy and I first moved to Springfield about 17 and a half years ago, we bought this tiny little house in the Washington Park area. Tiny. And I went up to the master bedroom, and I went and I saw where my closet was. And man, do you know what closet sizes were back in the 1910s when this house was, was uh, built? It was literally maybe about this tall and about this wide. My closet in our master bedroom. Why? Well, people just didn't have as much stuff back then, you know. Maybe the man who lived there originally had a couple suits, some shoes, some dress shirts, and that might just have been, been it. Today... What do we build in our homes? What are they called? Walk-in closets. Bigger than the bedroom we lived in in our first house. Now here's the irony about walk-in closets. How many times have you walked into your walk-in closet and gone, I just don't know what to wear. I don't have anything to wear. Why? Why do we do that? Because we have so much stuff that sometimes it paralyzes us. Sometimes it makes us feel discontent because we want more. Or how about this? How many of you have ever eaten at Cheesecake Factory? Anybody? It's great food, but man, their 40-page menu paralyzes me. I don't know what to do. Just give me one page, please. Limit my options for me. Why? Because sometimes less is more. Less can sometimes bring peace and clarity to what matters in life. And according to Jesus, what if we drew a line at some point and said, this is enough. This is enough extra. I'm gonna use the rest of my extra for someone else. Now at this point, uh, you would think Jesus would be done here. He's just addressed greed, that's a big problem, but actually he's not done. He turns now to his disciples and he says to them, that hoarding is going to be a problem for you as well. But he talks about it from a totally different place. Would you read verses 22 and 23 out loud on your notes there with me? It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Now listen, those aren't just some nice words. It's not a Bob Marley song. Don't worry about a thing, right? This is real life for these guys. They lived life on the edge. They didn't know where their next meal would come from. They certainly didn't have a closet full of clothes that they could go to. They traveled constantly, unsure of how their daily needs might be met. And it's to these people Jesus looks at and says, don't worry. Uh, what? Are you serious right now? If the temptation of greed is I can never have enough, the temptation of what I will call scarcity, fear, worry, if you're on your notes, is I will never have enough. Listen, if the rich man struggled with greed, his disciples are going to struggle hoarding out of fear, out of scarcity, out of I will never have enough. Whatever it means to us for enough, 
whatever that means, right? I'll never have enough of it. And because we're so worried, I'm so worried. Now, how does that connect to hoarding? Because if you're following again at its core, scarcity comes from a desire for security. At its core, at its heart, scarcity, worry, fear, all come from a desire for security. In other words, we worry because we want to be in control. We want to know what the future holds. We fear that we're not going to have enough. And so we cling to the things that we do have, including our money, because we think that will ultimately bring us security. You notice I had two verses on your notes there from Exodus 16. And in that passage, it's basically when God tells the Israelites, I'm going to provide manna for you every day, but I don't want you to gather any extra for the next day. I want you to trust that I will provide what you need for this day. And you can imagine some of the Israelites were like, oh no, I'm gathering as much as I can because I want to make sure I got food. What a test though, huh? Gather what you need for today and trust that I'll provide what you need for tomorrow. Now I'll just be full disclosure with you right now. This is my primary temptation when it comes to money. And of course, a lot of how we view money goes back to our family of origin, how we were raised. That's how we view money today. And in my family, especially for my dad, money was security. And it was hard to let go. I realized this the first time I ever did premarital counseling here at our church. I was trained in this program called Prepare and Rich. It's what most of the pastors use here. And of course, one of the things you talk about with a couple who's getting married is money. And they have these different... Um, exercises for the couple to go through. And the first one is called the meaning of money. And it just says, what does money actually mean to you? And I'd never seen it before. And so the first couple I did, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll take it while they're taking it. And it turns out money can mean four things to us. Money can mean status. You know, the, the more stuff I have, my status will increase. Money can mean control. I want to control uh, what people in my life are doing with money. Money can mean enjoyment. Hey, I've got money so that I can enjoy life, and money can mean security. And I took that quiz, and I scored like 100% on security. I'm like, wow, money means security for me. Now, my wife doesn't have that. She has something else. So as you can imagine, we never have disagreements about how to spend our money. Now, how can you know if security, if scarcity might be a temptation for you, let me give you a couple examples and you think about this. If you can't ever throw anything out, just in case you need it, scarcity may be at work. When you only buy the cheapest version of the goods and services you need, scarcity may be at work. When you take all the shampoo bottles from the hotel you're staying at, even though you already have a drawer full of them, scarcity may be at work. When you feel sick to your stomach, because you have to go to your savings account in order to pay for that car repair. Scarcity may be at work. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Literally, the word Jesus uses for worry here means to be torn apart, to be torn in two. That's what worry does. It pulls us in two directions. It projects the worst. It lives in a world of what if? But what if? What if I don't have enough? What if I'm not secure? What if? And because that's true, Jesus tells us, like greed, worry can actually keep you from living the abundant life I want you to live, both now 
and forever. Now, why is it so dangerous? Why is it so dangerous to have this scarcity mindset? Well, if you're on your notes there, ultimately worry shows a lack of faith in God's ability to provide. Ouch. But isn't that true? It just shows a lack of trust that God's going to provide what I need. But here's the truth Jesus wants us worriers to know. We can trust God knows what we need and will provide. Any other worriers in the house? Say that out loud with me there. We can trust God knows what we need and will provide. To make his point, Jesus gives three illustrations starting in verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Interesting, Jesus uses ravens because ravens were considered unclean according to the law. And so Jesus' point is, if God feeds even unclean animals like ravens, raisins, how much more is he going to take care of human beings? How much more will he take care of those he created in his image? Now listen, Jesus is not suggesting here that we just sit around and wait for food to magically appear before us. You know this, birds work extremely hard. They work hard every day to get the food that they need. And in the same way, we are to work hard. And as we work, we're trusting that God will provide exactly what we, what's the word? Oh. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? That's where a lot of this lies, right? Need versus want. What do I need? His next illustration is in verse 25. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do that very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? I love that because we think that's exactly what worry does. We believe we're controlling our life when we worry. But as we already saw... When we worry, we're not the ones in control. What's in control? Fear. Scarcity. Those things are the things that are in control. And last I checked, according to Jesus here, still true, the mortality rate remains at 100%. Worrying cannot add anything to our lives. Now, the ironic thing about worry right now is you all know this, I bet, right? According to health experts, worry has now been directly linked to disease, and the shortening of life. And so listen, all us worriers, we got to worry about worrying now. (laughs) Last illustration Jesus gives is in verse 27. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Once again, he argues from the lesser to the greater. If God feeds the birds, he will surely feed his children. If God beautifies the plants that grow up one day and they're gone the next, surely he will clothe his own people. Scarcity ultimately reveals that we do not trust in the character of God. But Jesus is pleading with us. Listen, your father in heaven loves you and will provide exactly what you need. So knowing this, Taking that to heart, we can be liberated from focusing our lives on never having enough. We can be free instead to use his words in the next verses to seek his kingdom. 
In fact, let's read that starting in verse 29, if you're looking at your Bible still. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. I love that. Little flock. People I care about. The ones I love. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Now, i got to be honest here. This may be one of the most misunderstood verses in the entire Bible. Because people have taken that to mean, okay, well, if I seek his kingdom first, then God's going to get me rich. He's going to give me all sorts of other possessions. I once read from Kent Hughes that he saw a boat, a huge expensive ski boat, that had this verse emblazoned on the hull, where the driver's essentially saying, because I seek God first, he's blessed me with this incredible boat. That's not what it means at all. What it means is, as you and I begin to submit to God's rule and reign in this world, which is what the kingdom of God is, it's his reign, his rule, as we do that in our lives, as we do that with our money, we discover, here's the gift, true peace and purpose. Seek the kingdom and discover true peace and true purpose. How do we seek the kingdom first? How do we submit our finances to God's rule and reign? Whether we have a hoarding problem because we don't believe we can ever have enough or a hoarding problem because we don't believe we will ever have enough. How does a disciple break the bondage of hoarding? Well, honestly, it goes back to the very purpose, the very title of this series we are in these four weeks. If you're following, for Jesus, the solution to hoarding, either out of greed or out of scarcity, it's so counterintuitive to both of those groups. It's be generous with the extra God has given us. Be generous. You want to break free from greed? Be generous. You want to break free from scarcity? Be generous. Look at how Jesus finishes this section starting in verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Provide purses, money bags for yourselves that will never wear out, a treasure in heaven. How do we do that? How do I invest in my future life? Well, somehow in God's economy, when I take the extra that he's given to me, and I'm generous to those who don't have any extra, that translates to future treasure waiting for me. I don't exactly understand how that works, but that's what it means when Jesus says in verse 21, to be rich toward God. When I'm generous to people who God cares about, I'm being generous and rich towards him. This is so counterintuitive to both of these groups of people. But in the end, as I said earlier, if you're on your notes again, Jesus says, less is indeed more. Less is more. Not necessarily more stuff, but more peace, more future reward, and more purpose. So many people give their lives to heap up things which in their very nature cannot last. Instead, he would say to us, invest in things that are going to last forever. Things that you will not leave behind on this earth. Jeff will talk a lot more about this next week, but for now, let's just be honest. This requires an incredible amount of faith and trust. Trust that I can have enough. Trust that I will have enough because my Father will provide what I need. 
living a generous life comes down to trust, faith. You know, I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. That's why I'm quoting it uh, so often. And I couldn't believe as I've been reading through the law how much of the law is actually about generosity. God telling his children, the people of Israel, be generous, be generous, be generous. One example of this, I know some of you have seen this before, is in Leviticus. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Now, I love that because it's such an incredible test because in that passage, notice one thing God doesn't say. Here's how big a corner of your field is. I mean, as a person like me, I'd be like, please define that for me. But he doesn't. He says it's up to you to decide how big a corner of a field is for you. And trust me that I'll continue to provide for you and what you need. What a test. What a test. I love the picture in the front of our bulletins. Uh, If you want to grab that and just look at it. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Or would it be better for it to look like this? Whether out of greed or out of scarcity, this is sometimes how I look. But we are to be generous, open-handed with what we have. Jesus says, yes, material things are necessary for life, but I'm telling you, a greater abundance of those things will not lead to greater happiness. Neither will it lead to greater peace, nor purpose, or security. It's really the opposite. Sometimes the more stuff we have, the more worried we are. Because what's going to happen to all our stuff? How do I take care of all my stuff? What do I do with all my stuff? Indeed, for both people, Jesus has this to say, will you just trust me? Will you trust me that a generous life is a life that will free you from greed and worry? I can still remember the day I was sitting in church in college and a pastor that I respected was talking about tithing. And I just gotta tell you, I was working three jobs trying to make my way through college. And so when I heard that, I'm like, yeah, these people need to hear this message because I got no extra. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, I want you to start tithing. I want you to start giving. And man, that was so hard for a worry-based person. And I started to do it. And you know what I've come to realize? The the more that I trust that God is going to provide for me, the more free I am from anxiety and worry. He truly does want to provide for his children. Jesus finishes with these very important words in verse 34. Can you read them out loud on your notes with me there? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart. Who you are at your core. Your innermost concerns, inevitably, that will follow after where you place your treasures. If our hearts are fixed on an abundance of possessions or securing all of our possessions, then Jesus said, you're always going to hoard, you're always going to worry. That's where your heart will be. But if your heart is fixed on the kingdom of God, both now and in eternity, then you'll begin to look like this. Open-handed, both now and forever, and your heart will be aligned with God's heart. And so here's the question for us to consider this week. Where is my heart when it comes to the extra I have? Where's my heart? Is it in bigger barns, in retirement plans, in homes, or is it in the kingdom, in your church, 
in the inner city of Springfield, in Mexico or Africa or South America, wherever your heart truly is, then your treasure will follow. I know not all of you are on social media, but over the last couple of weeks, we've been posting some videos of people uh, who have been learning, are learning still about generous living. And this week, the McLeans uh, posted a video about their life. And so I just thought, wow, this is perfect for what we're talking about today. So if you missed it, we're going to show this little clip that was on some social media sites. Like one of those little kids yeah. things. Take two. <laughs> <laughs> we need a bloopers reel. <laughs> We never did terrible with like credit card debt. We always had like a little bit, but it was never over the top. But we just, borrowing for everything. I mean, just the way most people live, just borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. And um, we got in over our heads when we moved to here from Florida, when we bought a second, we bought our house here before we had sold our house there. The church we were attending at the time offered a Crown Financial class, which is very similar to the uh, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace class. And we went through that and we worked ourselves out of debt. God has provided for us, even when we feel like we struggle a little bit. And um, we can only then turn around and say, how can I, share some of what I've been given and help other people get out of the situation they're in to turn their lives around so that they don't feel so desperate to get out of, you know, this pit, this, this uh, bondage to their debt. So how can I, in saying thank you, <clears throat> go out and help other people? And and so that's where it comes back to this generosity and it comes back to uh, God's given us this stuff for a reason. It's time for us to use it. I love that. And can I just remind you as we close, your life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And your Father in heaven will take care of you, provide for you. So let's stop living as if we can never have enough or we will never have enough. And let's begin to open our hands and live the generous lives that God has lived for us. Let's pray. Father, I know we're talking about money right now, but when we think of generosity, it's impossible not to think of your example. Not only were you generous to provide things for us, but you were generous in the most incredible way. Your son, enjoying the riches of heaven, stepped down, humbled himself, became a servant, emptied and gave his life in the most generous act ever done in this world's history so that we may have a new life, abundant life, eternal life. You opened your hands to us. So in the same way, help us to be people who open our hands to others. Let us seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.